With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode. I have a quick announcement before we get started. I have a new book out and it's totally free for my listeners. And you know what? I'm not even publishing this book on Amazon. I just think this is really valuable. I want you guys to read it and I want to give it to you. It's called The Side Hustle Bible. I wrote this book because the economy is changing. You need side hustles to break the barriers of corporate America and live the life of freedom that we all want to live, to choose yourself. I love the idea of trying lots of things to make money and seeing what works and what doesn't. And this book is a collection of proven opportunities, 177 to be exact, to turn your hobby or existing skills into an entirely new source of income. That's why I called it the Side Hustle Bible. All you have to do is go to www.jamesfreebooks.com. That's www.jamesfreebooks.com. Each method has the potential to move you closer to that new car, new house, or vacation. These strategies are tested and proven, but don't take my word for it. You will see in the chapters. Go to jamesfreebooks.com to see how others have created a profitable side hustle with this free book. All these people took action on just one of the ideas in this book. I'm excited about what this book can do for people. I hope you let me know what it does for you. I love to hear results. Claim your free copy of the Side Hustle Bible today before they're gone. The first step is grabbing your free copy by going to www.jamesfreebooks.com. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. What is the market missing? That's what I'm going to make. So it's like identifying those pain points and making something that actually delivers value in that pain point. Like, you know, the Peter Thiel line where like competition is for losers. Like, invent your own category. I think that's always what you're looking to do. And look, it's hard to go like, here's the 30 things that no one is doing. Just do interesting things. It doesn't have to be a book. It could be a video. It could be a statue that you make. You know, it could be fucking anything. Right, and I think it's the do interesting things part that people leave out. So kind of like bringing this to the the person in the, in the cubicle, people do want to have a different way of expressing themselves other than the cubicle. I think everybody deep down has some artistic impulse they can pursue. Or, or just maybe artistic feels like too Artsy. whatever. <laughs> call it like creative. Like building a company is, I wouldn't call it art, but it is creative, you know? And so I think it's like, look, don't be resume 1064. Go make, like I thought, what I decided really early on in my career is it was like, I don't want to have to do a resume. I was, I was like, this sounds weird, but it's like, I wanted to have a bio instead. It's not like, here's my resume, I did this, I'm good at Microsoft Excel, you know, here's a reference. I wanted the thing that it says on the back of my books. Like that's, and that's why you should hire me or not hire me or ask me to come do this or not do that, right? And so I've always focused on that. Like, what have I done?
Ryan Holiday, how many times have you been on the podcast? Uh, literally too many for me to count at this point. <laughs> like five or six, maybe more. Because you were one of the first on the podcast back in 2014. Yes. And I kind of even can't remember the book. It was um, the tr the truth about lying or lying. the lying liars yeah. and the. That, well, that was you had me on for my first book, and that book is now celebrating its fifth year anniversary, and they just updated it. So that's how long we've been doing. <laughs> right, and then and then your breakout book, I would say, is the obstacles the way. Yeah, and you've been kind of like the leader of the modern movement on uh, the philosophy of stoicism. I sort of feel like in general, as society has become more secular, people still want a, a philosophical system to believe in. And I think stoicism has become that for many people. Yeah, I mean, the question is like, so how do you live, right? That's the question that if, if it's not like God is telling you to do this or not, they're telling you not to do that, how do you live? And I think stoicism is sort of an operating system in that sense. It's like, you know, here's how you should behave. Here's how you deal with anxiety or your temper or your fears, or here's how you cope with success or adversity. So I think it's sort of a framework. And the religious tie is interesting because um, I was just reading about this, like Seneca and Jesus were born maybe the same year. So it's these sort of two very similar systems that came around at roughly the same time. That's just very fascinating. And it's kind of funny how these, um, well, let me just read off the rest of your titles. You have Ego is the, Ego is the Enemy. Yeah. It was a great podcast, great book. Uh, one of my favorite books by you. Then you switched focus a little bit uh, with The Perennial Seller, but mm -hmm. great topic. Yeah. I always want to find out what makes a work of art, whether it's a book or anything or a company or whatever, kind of keep going yeah um as opposed to all the books that that seem like successes but then disappear quickly. does that one not have the list of books in the front this, does, this doesn't have so now we've got the daily stoic journal but i feel like you already had like kind of a daily stoic what was your first daily stoic journal you had no, the no, daily so stoic we, we did the daily stoic and then we saw people were writing like in the margins and then so this is a journal that just you you have both of them and then there's the there's a sort of one quote and a meditation every day and then there's a prompt that you write about that thing so, like, let me look at an example. Um, you can look at today's date. Okay, yeah, what's today? Like, I did it this morning. I, I, today's prompt is, like, what do I truly own? So, you're supposed, you would, and I don't, I don't have the meditation memorized, but the idea is you would sit down and you would write in the, the, the Stoics would, uh, would write in the morning and the afternoon. So, you'd prepare for the day ahead. So, you'd go, okay, what do I own today, right? I, I don't, I don't own my car. That could be taken away from me. I don't own my house. That could be destroyed. But I own my own. Or taken away from you. Right, sure. I own my own thoughts, right? Yeah. I don't control my own schedule because that could be interrupted. I don't even control my own body. That could be hit by a car, right? But I control my own thoughts. I control my own emotions, right? And so so what, what do I need? Like lately I've been getting frustrated when things haven't gone my way. Like I plan something out and it sort of goes sideways. I've been getting frustrated. And then, you know, that, that frustration creeps out at other people in my life, right? So I spent some time writing this morning about how I want to have a super jam-packed day. I went running this morning. I'm doing this with you. Then I'm giving a talk in like an hour. And then I have an important meeting after that. And so uh, I'm going to be running around like with my head cut off, right? And I want it to all go a certain way, but I have to accept that it probably won't go exactly that way. But I do control whether I get flustered by this, whether I get upset by this or not. So that's what I truly own today. So that's what I wrote about in the, in the morning. And then at night, I'll review how I did it on all that.
So what what so I always find when a situation is happening like that, like so I have a similar type of day. I have a bunch of podcasts that I'm doing, then I'm doing some live Q and A, then I'm I'm interviewing on the podcast tomorrow, Ray Dalio, and so I'm having dinner with a bunch of hedge fund managers who all want sure. to me to ask their questions because yeah. they've all read his book. And so so the day goes to like eleven o'clock or so. Yeah. But I always feel like, okay, I have a day like that today and tomorrow, and then I'm just gonna just push my all into that mm -hmm. and then Wednesday sleep or rest or whatever. Sure. Yeah. So you you control maybe what you're gonna do after. That might be something you would think about. Or or I, I just go like I don't need what what sometimes what I've been and I did this the last couple of days when I was writing is like, okay, I have these crazy days. That's all like I've scheduled these things. I don't need to make it worse by trying to also feel guilty or right. obsessed that I'm not doing X, Y, and Z. So it's like, okay, so today I, I'm not going to worry about email today. Like if I just do these three things well, that's a success. So I don't need to also stress about these other things. And so the idea of like preparing, like the Stoics were all, like the Marcus Aurelius, who's the famous Stoic, he, he, he opens his meditations by talking about, he's like, today the people we're going to meet are going to be uh, jealous and angry and envious and frustrating and stupid. And he lists all these things. And then it seems negative, but he's really saying, look, this is like worst case scenario. Um, here's why they're going to act that way. And here's what, here's how you need to respond to that. Right. You can't like let that drag you down to their level. And so the idea is like in the morning, you want to prepare for what's happening and sort of meditate on it. And then at the, in the evening, when everything sort of slowed down, then go, did I follow through on my preparation? So I think journaling is super important. I do it every day, but I've tried to make it. What's your What's your process of journaling? So you sit you sit down. You're going to have 15 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever you do. And are is there a goal in mind, or you do kind of the um, what's it called the Julia Cameron? Yeah, morning yeah. pages. So uh, I get up uh, early, like maybe like six or seven, and I go for a long walk with my son while my wife catches up on sleep. So your one year old son, congratulations! Thank you. I've seen you since then, right? Or no? Yeah, yeah, a bunch yeah, of times. Yeah. Uh, but so we go on a long walk, and then uh, then I come back, and then I sit down, and I have three journals. I have one that's a um, it's called like one line a day, and I just write one sentence about like the day that just happened, sort of like a summary of yesterday. That's a good idea. And it's cool. You have five. It, it's there's five years on each page. Wait, I'm gonna I'm gonna write that down. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna write down one line a day, and it's about the prior day. Yeah, you. I mean, you could do it however you wanted, right? You could write about today or tomorrow or yesterday or whatever you wanted. But the idea is like, you if you keep this journal for five years, you'll have, you know, I don't know what's today the fourth. Uh, you'll have the fourth for five years in a row. And it'll be like really, and you can reflect, you can see like what that. happened. So I write one sentence in there. Then I have like a small Moschine where I write like my workout from the day before. I write one thing that I'm grateful for. And then, um, then I just sort of talk about like what's going on in my life. You know, like what I did, what I'm working on, what I'm excited about, you know, what I'm trying to improve on. So that that you know that takes five minutes. Let's say. Wait, 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 wait. Pages. How come it takes what you're trying to improve on? Why does it take five minutes? I'm just. It's just. I, it's just a little journal. So I'm just saying it's two pages that I'm writing in. I'm writing about two pages. So maybe that takes three minutes or five minutes. But but like, are you saying what you're gonna do to improve, or like why does that take a few minutes? Yeah. As opposed yeah. to saying I'm gonna try to improve on my running speed or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'm just like what? Am, like, hey, maybe I haven't been 
taking care of myself, like I've been sleeping enough or I've been scheduling too many things or I haven't taken enough time to write, you know, think like I'm just talking about talking to myself about what's going on, what I want to do better, what I'm happy about, how things have been going. Right. That's that's sort of my version of morning pages where I'm just sort of dumping what's on my mind about like the last day or so. And then I use my own journal, which sounds weird, but uh, it's 366 prompts. So I don't remember writing all the prompts, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, then I then I do my morning meditation on that specific prompt. So I did it in my hotel this morning. And then uh, tonight I'll reflect on how I did with what I prepared for this morning. And that's and my journal. Let's say you didn't do this. If I how didn't do, you, do the, the ritual. All of this. Yeah. Okay. yeah, how do you think your life would be different? Um, so I'm lucky in the sense that I'm, and you too, you're, we're also writers. So we do more sort of reflective, quiet time than your average person gets to as part of their job. So I wouldn't be like, I don't think I would be crazy, but I have found that this ritual is, it's really calming. It starts my day off like with a, a sort of a reflective, like piece of like me time. Um, and then I'm, I'm, I'm not just going, hey, I'd like to be better or hey, I'd like to stop doing X or Y. I'm actually checking in with myself every single day. But the good thing with you is, I mean, I should say, so you're a successful author. You've also um, helped a a lot of other people uh, with, you you know, you're also a successful speaker, but you've also helped a lot of other authors market their books or write their books. You helped me when I was marketing Choose Yourself. You helped me originally with this podcast, like help producing this podcast. So uh, you do lots of different things. Somebody listening to this, um, sitting in their queue, you know, some some people it's easier to change their lives than others. Like you could say, I want to improve X, Y, and Z, and you can gradually over the next few weeks even improve X, Y, and Z. Sure. Some people might say, well, I've got a mortgage to pay, uh, an ex-wife to pay, or ex-husband, or uh, I've, I'm in this nine to five job that's really more like, 7 a.m. to 7 at night in terms yeah. of like getting there and preparing and all that. I can't really change my life the way this guy can on a daily basis. Well, first, I mean, writers and creative people have all the same problems as like, I have things I have to do. I have a mortgage, right? Like I'm not, it's not like I'm, uh, you know, living on a beach somewhere. Uh, I, I have a day job, which is my consulting and advising with, with my company, Brass Check. And then I, I, I also am a writer. So I, I sort of empathize with that struggle because I keep myself in it. Um, but I think it's important, what, what I like about journaling and why I spend time with it is that it's easy to say you want to do these things or it's easy to read a book that says, you know, here's how things should be. But I think what what I've always been interested in about Stoicism is that it, it is both like a set of principles and words, but it's, a, it's also a practice. Like you could say that Stoicism and journaling are the same thing. Like Marcus Aurelius, who writes his meditations, that's what he's famous for. That's his private journal. Like he didn't sit down to write like a text on Stoicism. This is the most powerful man in the world. The emperor. Right, he was the emperor. Yeah, he was the emperor. And he wrote in this private notebook to himself you know, about what he needed to work on. It's so interesting because he was a successful emperor in the sense yeah. that Rome prospered. It was relatively peaceful. Um, and the generations prior and the generations almost immediately after him, just Rome fell apart. Yeah. So it just goes to show that 
no matter how good a leader you are, it doesn't nothing nothing you do really has that much of an effect on future generations except you know and this kind of leads to the question about you know what's the usefulness of books he has this one book sure. that has withstood the test of time more than his leadership as an emperor did as well, the ruler of the world did <laughs> first off it's really interesting he writes in his own journal about that exact fact he's like look name he's like how many people remember the emperor three emperors before me right uh, how many people are going to remember me in 100 years or 200 years? How much of this is even going to last? And he's like, if you zoom way out, you know, uh, 500 years or 1,000 years, none of this even matters, right? And so he's like, you can't take this too too seriously. You can't think that, uh, you know, what you're doing is that important. You just have to sort of do the right thing. You have to sort of go with the flow. That's sort of how he's working through that even as the emperor, right? Which I think is amazing. Um and then, yeah, there. I think it's important, uh, the Stokes talk about this too, Seneca specifically, he's like, look, you should be engaged in public affairs, he's saying. Like, you, Rome was nominally a republic, it had become, a, uh, you know, there'd become an emperor, but it was still this sort of system that everyone was supposed to participate in. He's like, the, a person should participate in, in politics, you should make your country better. But he's like, sometimes the system is so corrupt or so dysfunctional that maybe your contribution is not to your like specific city or your specific country, but to all of humankind by like creating something that matters to people well beyond. Like think about, you know, Aristotle. Sure, he's also Alexander the Great's tutor and he's helping him, but it's really this legacy that he's passed down of brilliant ideas that influences us now even to today. I, I wonder about this in kind of, you know, the the way we consume media, I mean, it's always been changing. Like even since between Marcus Aurelius and now, there was the printing press. So the way we consume media changed drastically with that. Then it changed with television. But now it's like on hyperdrive where we could, you know, whatever Donald Trump tweeted last night becomes the news, becomes the subject of a thousand other tweets. Yeah. And so we, we're in this kind of like second by second minutia of tweets and that and, and YouTube videos, which is, you know, to all fairness, I think YouTube, this legitimate art form and there's great media on there. But do you think the value of the written word has gone down? Like I and I'm gonna guess, I've noticed with my own articles, you know, I put it in all the same places you put them in. Pay, you know, reader, readership in general over the past five years, I would say, has kind of either stabilized or gone down depending yeah. on the platform because most platforms now are open source and you know so they're not really kind of there's no curation which is fine like you want everybody to be able to express themselves but i find that people simply don't read as much they consume video you you know three yeah. minute videos or whatever and i'm not criticizing i'm just i'm just wondering how we deal with that if the thing like if the thing like marcus aurelius's meditations is what withstood the test of time Will nothing withstand the test of time a hundred years from now? Yeah, I mean, Robert Greene calls that tactical hell, right? Like everyone's just reacting all the time. Like no one can see through the noise. It's like Donald Trump tweeted at two in the morning, so then you wake up at eight in the morning and you're miserable. Like your day didn't even have a chance, right? right. And that's such such a shitty way to live. And I, I've in in my own life, I've found that my happiness increases proportional to the amount of news and current 
day information, the, the less of that I consume, right? So I would say, sure, as a general trend, it, it seems that the written word or sort of thoughtful writing has decreased. But I would say among smart people, it's probably the same or more important. Do you know what I mean? So so it, it depends on who you're trying I, to I reach. don't know because like if Robert Greene writes an article, I think less people will view it. It used to be if you write a book and publish it, it's an event. Sure. Um, as And that's, a diff that's the reason why one would write a book as opposed to a collection of articles. Sure. Um, I don't think the same thing is true anymore. There's so many books coming out, which again, I don't say is a, I'm not, there's no judgment on that. I, I, well, I'll make a judgment because okay. I, I do think that, that we have devalued what it is to make a book by, look, part of this is just the economic self-publishing has made it easier to publish. But I also think people have somewhat cravenly gone, hey, books seem really important. Books are like the last medium to have been exploited. How can I make it so how can I make it incredibly easy to publish a book and make it look like someone has done the work of doing a book uh, as a way of getting the benefits, right? This is a sort of book as business card, uh, business model. Which, which, by the way, I've originally proposed in an article like I, I did, did in 2013. <laughs> I did too, and I I, I feel uh, not just embarrassed, but I feel partially responsible for the shittiness of the market right now. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like well, it I, I do think, makes the world the worst place. I do think... It's not that these people shouldn't write books. It's that uh, they're not getting the training of being a writer. They're not building the skill set of being a good writer. So yep. they're not. So often these books are like you know how to be a better ex, yep. and so it'll be like kind of a list of things to do to be a better ex. But there's no storytelling. There's no real writing, and they use that with the book as a business card. They use that because it does get them clients. It does get them speaking gigs. Yeah. No, I, I think that's well said. It's not that they shouldn't write books. It's that they should write better books. Yeah, which, which by the way, they can't because it takes a long time to be a good writer. Sure. Like what, if you take your last, if you take Perennial Seller and compare it to your very first book, I'm not saying your first book was bad. It's just your like, Perennial better, Seller right? was yes. better. Yes. So uh, I think people learn by by doing and they learn by writing more books and and, and, know, and look, Perennial Seller a is, a, is not also not a, a straight business book. I think you started out in the kind of business book category and then expanded. But I think there, and I think there's a cost to that, right? Like I think books used to be where people would go to get thoughtful, get the thoughtful long view on what's happening or what's going to happen or what they should know about. And that's become harder to do because you think you're getting a book that's about this topic when really you're getting uh, a bunch of random thoughts stapled together that with a brilliantly designed cover to make it look like it's a book, right? And right. I think I think that that's uh, I think that that's gross, right? But I also think it's bad for society. Like I think it's genuinely bad for society. So so, but but maybe maybe you're in the category of people who thought radio was bad for society in the 1930s because it was taking people away from books. Well, I mean, look, what radio was doing is bringing information to a larger uh, a larger population. Uh, it was it was creating new forms of entertainment, right? What what this what this book is what what this trend is is almost like uh, like a globalization where they're like, oh, this is working here. Can we make a shittier version of it over here? So it's kind of like a commoditization of yes. of knowledge somehow. Well, it's arbitrage, right? It's saying, look, uh, books have been a scarce resource for two thousand, three thousand years, right? And only people who wrote the only people who typically wrote books were 
smart people, people who had something to say, people who were experts, right? And then they're saying, oh, but for $49.99, I can make what appears to be all those things, which really just a hollowed out version of that thing. Like when I watch a YouTube video, I don't go, oh, this is the same as a movie, right? They're not trying to make it seem like a movie. But that's that's what's so different about this sort of commoditization of books is that it is it is designed to there's there's a Kierkegaard quote where he says uh, it leaves everything standing but it cunningly empties them of their significance. That's what this trend. What was does. he referring to in that quote? I was referring to journalism. Actually, he hated the newspapers. Uh, so so look, there's a certain amount of old fogeyism in this criticism. No, but I still agree with that on journalism. Yeah, I mean that. So is, journalism keeps on decreasing in value, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, when you read a well, think about it. You read some article on Forbes.com, and you think you're reading a report from Forbes magazine, the 100 year old media publication, but in fact. You're reading uh, a HuffPo-like model contributor who may or may not actually be an investor in the stock that they're trying to sell you on. Do you right. know what I mean? Or, or, uh, or they're paid by the page view. You know, I think also now it's pretty out there that all news is pretty biased. Yeah. So M- M- NBC is on one side, Fox is on another side, and you only kind of watch your or listen to your side of mm-hmm. journalism. So if it if a newspaper or a news source doesn't already agree with you, you don't read it. Yeah. So people have become journalism has become an excuse for people to justify their closed-mindedness. Yes. Well, everyone reads this paper, so I can't be that closed-minded. Right. So and yet the paper itself is admittedly biased. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so um I but I think to go to your original question about, you know, is is there a devaluing of books and is is that bad as a career, as a business? I I think it is, and it's something to worry about. But I, you know, well, many I, people... I, I, don't, I don't think you said that. I think I think we both agreed. If you're a person, you probably you you didn't say. I you wrote an article on this, and I've written articles yeah. on this, and we took the opposite side. You, in your article, you sort of suggest people should not be write. Not everybody should write a book. But here, just now, you kind of said, okay, if someone's going to get more clients and get speaking gigs. Maybe they should write a book, but they're going to write it. Society should realize this might be a bad book. Yeah, right. I I, th- I have a somewhat of a duality in that I I can see how like certain marketing hustles work. That doesn't mean I think the creator that of the marketing hustle. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't mean I think that they're good. And but I I would like what I said. Maybe this is what I should have put in my article. But I, it's not that you shouldn't write a book. It's that you should really actually write a good book. And if you're not going to do it. There are way easier ways to get what you're after, but I think as a, I think as as two actual writers, I think it is something we should be concerned about that people are people are out there burning our potential audience, and that decreases the amount of impact that we can have. And but I guess the solace is smart people are still reading, and they are very discerning about the the books that they read. Right. So so. I have told, I mean, I've been writing forever and I've, I've totally felt this even just in the past two years. It used to be people would write to me or stop me on the street and say, oh, I really like that one article you wrote or this, or this book or that book. And I still get that a little bit, but much more 10 to one ratio. I love your podcast. Yeah. People listen to podcasts more than they, like this podcast will be listened to by more than have read every single one of my books, except for Choose Yourself. Sure. So, so, so podcasts yeah. seem to have, 
And you've also gone on record. We could we could skip to that in a second. But you've also said, and I sort of agree with this, but you said stop. Everybody stop doing podcasts. Well, look, I, I just I maybe I just actually respect the mediums, and so I don't like this sort of land rush mentality of like, how do I take advantage of this trend? Right, particularly since it's so easy. For instance, with a podcast, you really can just record something, upload it to one of the platforms, and then it gets uploaded to iTunes and Stitcher automatically, and, yeah. and you're done. You have a podcast. But I'm very bullish about finding people where they are. Like, I've seen with my own books, you know, it used to be it was like 50-50 uh, ebook versus print, right? And so some people in publishing thought this was terrible. Like, you know, and it's if you look at the history of publishing, for instance, it was like, uh, everyone should buy hardcovers. And then uh, someone comes out with the paperback and people in publishing are like, this is devaluing writing. This is so bad. But it was just expanding the audience. And then so on my first book, it was like 70-30 print ebook. And then my next book, it was like 50-50. And it was 50-50. And then audio starts rising. And now on Perennial, it's like 30-30-30. Um, yeah, I'm noticing many more people listening to the audiobooks version when I've done audiobooks uh than than I've ever saw before. Like like yeah. again, choose yourself. The audiobook it's probably more readers of audiobook than anything else. Or yeah. listeners of the audiobook. And then I suspect it might become 25, 25, 25, 25 with like it ebook, physical, podcast course. Or yeah. like there might be some other element, maybe it's video or so, you know, that I, I don't really care. Like, but I do think all of the whatever the form is is irrelevant if it's not good right so people people uh like they'll read articles that you've written and they'll come to me and they'll be like so i'm writing this book and then they're like so i want to talk to you about the marketing and then do you think i should record the audiobook now and blah and i'm like you should you should see if you can sell one copy first do you know what right. i mean like don't go spend five thousand dollars recording an audiobook for something that you don't actually know it's good yet like people I think what people do is they see the success of different projects and they just try to like, okay, I'm going to do all the things that they do. And the one thing that they're missing is that the reason it worked, it's like all the people that are going to have the F word in their title because the subtle art of not giving a fuck sold really well. And it's like the F word is maybe like the, is maybe responsible for 20% of the success of that book. The success is that it's a great book with a great right. idea perfectly timed right and people always miss that that you have to do the actual work first and then everything else comes after right so so really the, the key is with any of these things is kind of developing the skill set yeah uh whether it's podcasting or doing videos or writing a book but you can really only build the skill set by doing something you yeah. still have to you have to write the first book to write the eighth book yeah, or it's like you could have a perfectly recorded audiobook, but if the idea is not good and you don't have an audience, you're going to sell one copy. So it's like that it's or maybe the maybe the analogy is like you could be fluent in many languages and you should be fluent in many languages, but if you don't have anyone to talk to, it's sort of irrelevant. <laughs> It's probably good why I only speak English. Yeah, yeah. I don't really want to speak to anybody in any other language. Um, right, I got enough to handle here yeah. just in English. So, so. You know, I think I think there's this feeling of the you know the the cliche no pain no gain. Mm -hmm. People have like forgotten that cliche. Okay. <laughs> in the sense that, oh, I can do a book without pain and still get the gain. I can do a podcast without pain and still get the gain. I, I mean, I was just I was just on a podcast the other day where I was the guest, and before me 
There were some fascinating guests and the interviewers had great opportunities, but they just, I could see it. Like they were just missing like just softball after softball to create really great content and yep. they just refused to do it. They just either didn't have the knowledge or, sure. or whatever. And it's too easy now to do a bad thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so, right. so but, but then the question is, you can't criticize those people because, and you can't criticize the system. The system happens regardless. The system moves forward, you know, no matter what. And you can't criticize the people because they're doing what they want to do. They want to do a podcast or write a book or make a video. They're doing what they want to do and they're they're trying to move forward as well. So, and you can feel bad for you because maybe it's less curated so people don't know how to find you or new in, inter, entering the reading system. Yeah. But, you know, what's really, the, the way you have to think or me or whoever is okay what what can i best do to learn a skill that then makes an impact and what what would you say is the answer there yeah no i think i think that's right i mean it, it's like look lots of people want to play professional baseball or basketball but it's still really really hard you know what i mean it doesn't matter how much train it's still really really hard you sort of have it or you don't have it and um that that's what I've, I've just focused on like, okay, I'm just going to get really good at this thing. Um, I, Bob Odenkirk got in trouble a couple years ago. He made some remark about how like, there's all these different companies that will now like teach you how to do improv and that this was creating sort of a bubble. And I think that's true in a lot of these different industries. It's like people have realized, oh, there's money in t like selling people that they should do their own books or like how to do stand up or how to, uh, have their own podcasts or like, you know, it's like in the real, you know, it's a real estate boom, not when prices are going up, but when people are making more money teaching people how to get into real estate than actually buying and selling real estate. Right. And, and so I always, I always think like, okay, look, there's going to be boom and bust cycles and that's, you know, outside of my control. What's always in my control is like, do I make really great stuff that is actually working for people? Do you know what I mean? So if you're doing this podcast because like you want to be famous or because you think it's going to be a good network, you know, if you're doing it for all those reasons, um, that's why you're not going to take those important shots. But if you feel like this is my medium, this is how I'm going to have impact, this is how I can say really valuable things to people, then I think you are going to take those shots. Like I remember when I did your show maybe a year ago, I was telling you how this book I was working on was like kicking my ass. It was like really, really hard. And you were like, well, maybe it's just not a good idea. And and that I really thought about that because like that is true. Sometimes it's like no pain, no gain. But sometimes just because it's painful doesn't mean there's going to be gains, right? No pain, no gain is a cliche for a reason in that it mostly works, but sometimes it doesn't and there's no way to, to discern when yeah. it's working and not working. So for instance, let's say you're an entrepreneur and you're raising money for a company. If you don't have a good idea, it's going to be very painful to raise yeah. money. You're not going to be able to raise money, chances are. Yeah. But and when you and actually when your company is really good, it's probably going to be easy yeah. to raise money. And so most of the time, people should set their companies up in such a way and build their companies up in such a way that it becomes easy to raise money. Yeah. You don't have to sell too hard if you've got the goods. I think yeah. it's a more important expression actually. So if you can, if you can, or if you can build up the skill of writing well, you should write a book. Yeah. And then there'll be less pain and you'll have more gain. But so so that's kind of the right way to view it. But it's hard to discern when one, you have one, you know 
whether the pain, the, the the lack of pain is legit or not yeah. legit. Well, so I came out of the other side. The book is really good. I'm really proud of it. It comes out soon in March. But uh, there are other projects where I should have quit. You know, and like what? Um, I'm just saying, like there, I've had other ideas for articles that I've really, really worked on. And it's like, oh, this isn't going anywhere. But I think maybe you've so you've written lots of books, right? I were those books was choose yourself any harder than those other books? Like I would say probably marginally so, or a, a, to a maybe twenty percent harder. But it's like what's so weird about it? It's like obstacle and trust me, I'm lying. Let's say they were about the same difficulty to write but one is outsold the other by like a factor of 10. So it's like, there is, it's like no pain, no gain. But then when you have something that really works, you can feel it instantly. And it's like, it's the difference between I'm trying to raise money and everyone is offering to give me money and I want them to go away. Right, I was going to say like, choose yourself might've been harder in some ways, like you say 20% harder, but it was like 500% more pleasurable to write. And, and so the that's when I felt like way easier. It yeah, just happened. Right. Somehow know? it was just everything just sort of clicked, but it also everything was just so pleasurable about it. Like I enjoyed it. The yeah. pr the process. Usually I don't enjoy the process of writing a book. Like writing yeah. a book is very difficult, which is yeah. I think people underestimate. But uh like just sitting there and typing on a keyboard is not there's no evolutionary reason to do it. No. So it's like one of those few things we people obsess on and spend a lot of time on where there's actually no human pur purpose for it. No, and it doesn't feel good because you can't see that you're making progress, right? So it's like uh you, you know when you're ever looking at a book uh, on Kindle and it'll say like you're on page 1 of like 8,000 because it's like split the, you know the pages yeah. are so much smaller. That's what it feels like writing, but like you have to create every new page. You're like, I'm never gonna. F it's you're like, I worked on this all week and I made two percent progress, like towards I want to go. That's super discouraging. Um, so it, it it is very hard, but it's like when it comes out, there just like the like uh, Jim Collins talks about the flywheel, how the business is about trying to create the flywheel, and then once the flywheel gets going, it just spins off cash. You know, when you get when you actually get, I've done it a couple of times now, when you get one of those flywheels going on a, like a creative project, like your podcast, slow to get going. And then it's like, whoosh. Right. Now it's like, you could, you could upload, uh, an episode of complete silence and it would do 50,000 downloads, right. Or whatever. Like it would, I promise I won't do that, but yeah. it's not a bad idea. <laughs> just, uh, Tim Ferriss suggested I play, I play around with format a little bit yeah. more. And I always, I always, he always has interesting things to say about. I always ask him for advice on the podcast when he always says one thing that I then do. I think one thing I would go though, though it's like, okay, let's say video is hot right now and uh, or this is hot right now. You should also go like, who are you though? Do you know what I mean? Like, um, okay, if if soccer is the game that you love, it should be irrelevant that lots of really great athletes are fighting in the UFC. Do you know what I mean? If you're that kind of person, you're like, I could do anything well, so you don't care, then you should pick which one. But it's like, I I love writing. It's my thing. So yeah. that's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to be less distracted. I'm certainly going to experiment with these different things, and I want them to benefit my writing. But the reason I don't have a podcast is that I don't want the... I've said this on your show before, but it's like, I don't want the reward for being good at writing to be that I don't have time to write because I'm doing a podcast. I mean, I think I'm definitely discouraged that I don't write as much as I did even a year ago. And I, and I kind of 
put in my own journal. Like I need this is a fr- personal frustration yeah. for me, and I and I know it gives me a lot of pleasure to to write first thing in the morning. I don't have as much time, and I used to publish an article a day. Yeah. I have like three thousand articles out there somewhere. Yeah, and now I don't do as much. Maybe I'll do two or three a week, sometimes one a week, and it's uh it's frustrating, but. You know, I also enjoy the podcast. I enjoy. I'm learning to enjoy other media. Sure. Yeah. So, and you know, one thing I want to say about the the books about whether or not someone should write a book. I still believe everyone, not everyone. If you don't want to, then you don't want to. But yeah. people should try it because there's more than just business. A book as a business card. There's also a book as, hey, my great great grandkids will never know who I am unless. I yeah. put it down on paper. And if I just put it down in a medium.com article, they're still never going to know who I am. It's it's a book is kind of something you could hand to somebody. But I feel like that is a genuine expression. That is, that is the artistic impulse right there, which right. is so much more meaningful than if I write this book, I'll be able to charge X amount more for my... For like a speaking gig. Yeah, and and all the, all this shit is so not is so fucking wrong. Like it, it really pisses me off too, right? Because people go like, uh, oh, you know, if I'm if I'm a New York Times bestselling author, uh, I'll be able to charge more for my speaking gigs. I talk I, I speak a ton. I make good money doing it. And I talk to many, many different conference organizers. And I ask them, have you ever paid more for someone because they were a New York Times bestselling author versus not a bestselling author. And they're like, of course not. They're like, we book the people that we want to book, right? Like, you you would, if you'd never written a book, you would still get speaking inquiries because your articles are really good, because your videos are really good, because your podcast is good, right? Like, people, if you want to, if you want to do speaking, just do interesting things. It doesn't have to be a book. It could be a video. It could be a statue that you make. You know, it could be fucking anything. Right, and I think it's the do interesting things part that people leave out. So so kind of like bringing this to the the person in the in the cubicle, it's not so much, let's you know, we, we see this kind of, not declining middle class, but I'll call it declining middle management layer of corporate yeah. America. So uh, just everybody's being squeezed between the top and the bottom because of whether it's automation or... Uh, innovation will, you know, people will innovate themselves out of out of a whole layer of yeah. of management or employees. So, so people do want to have a different way of expressing themselves other than the cubicle. And I think, you know, having an artistic impulse or or journaling, like you say, to to kind of discover what those artistic impulses are. It might be, oh, I want to leave something for my great great grandkids, or it might be because ah, I see something interesting that I'm. I was fascinated by it when I was 12 years old, but now I want to pursue it in a more interesting way. And I don't know, there should be, I think everybody deep down has some artistic impulse they can pursue. Or or just call, maybe artistic feels like too, Artsy. whatever. <laughs> call it like creative. Like building a company is, I wouldn't call it art, but it is creative, you know? And so I think it's like, look, don't be resume 1064, you know? Like go make, like I thought, what I decided really early on in my career is it was like, I don't want to have to do a resume. I was, I was like, this sounds weird, but it's like, I wanted to have a bio instead. Like I wanted, it's not like, here's my resume. I did this. I'm good at Microsoft Excel. You know, here's a reference. I wanted to go like, I wanted like the thing that it says on the back of my books. Like that's, and that's why you should hire me or not hire me or ask me to come do this or not do that. Right. And so 
I've always focused on that. Like, what have I done? Like, what are the interesting things that I've accomplished or built or been a part of? That's going to that's gonna speak for me rather than, you know, an 8 by 11 bulleted list of whatever. Right, like, that's why I think, like, when you wrote Obstacle is the Way and then Ego is the Enemy, which I, I kind of view them both as a, a, a... Well, and then the Daily Stoic. I view the three of them almost yeah. as like a trilogy. Um it's not so much that you wrote these books, although they were good books, uh, but the fact that then you kind of reawakened uh, a movement for many people. You, that I feel like that's what you did, was you kind of rewrote Stoicism for the modern era. Well, look, if, if you know, let's say you're, the trend you're talking about picks up tomorrow and no more books are sold, I could get a job working at a sports team from those books, or I could get... I could open a coaching business or I could do any number of things because of what those books have done, even if the books never, but that's not, it's not that they're business cards, right. it's that they're proof of what I've, what I can do and what I have done, which yeah. is different. Like people don't pay for business cards. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I think I know in my own story over the past few years, what what always gets me to a new level of interest and also new topics for me to explore and talk about and write about is like, for instance, when I threw out all my belongings and experimented with minimalism or when I just lived in Airbnbs or this past year kind of obsessing on stand-up comedy sure. or uh, or the year I did Choose Yourself, not just writing Choose Yourself, but choosing myself by self-publishing that yeah. book and in a variety of other ways. So doing things is what always take takes one to the next level. You can't yeah. just sort of, it reminds me of like AJ Jacobs. It's not like he just writes about family trees. Yes. He'll write about, he'll, he'll, he'll actually have the world's largest family reunion and then write a book about what the experience was like. But that, and that's a huge mistake that, that authors do, particularly people that come from a journalism background that go like, well, I'm way more qualified than him to report on, uh, family trees and I'm an expert on this and I've got all these interviews and I'm a better writer and all this, but it's like, it's boring because nothing happened. You, right. you, your thing doesn't exist. And very few people are just interested in reading about family trees. But if someone can go here, I'm going to show you how they work and I'm going to, I'm going to be you on these pages of these books. That's something very special. You yeah. Know? And yeah, so it, it's all like, I always say, like, if you want to be in the news, like make news you know, um, do something newsworthy. Don't well, get a good publicist to pitch you. Go do something and reporters will ask if they can come write about you. But how, you know, everybody is, gets in the view like, well, I hear him saying that, but I, again, I work from seven to seven. Uh, how, I can't do it. Everybody, it's so easy for people to say, I can't do it. Yeah. I hear that so many times. I can't, I can't, I can't. Or I need more time or I need to take some time off to do this. Or, you know, what What would you say is a, a start if somebody wanted to try doing something and, and breaking free? Yeah. Um, I mean, taking a vacation and doing it on vacation is not the not the worst is not the worst. But even they're not their muscles. They don't even know what to do. They've been right. sitting in a cubicle for twenty years. Yeah. Um, their worst case scenario to take a Stoics yeah. way of questioning this. Yeah. Their worst case scenario is that they'll li live forty years in a cubicle and do nothing. Right. Other than that cubicle. Yeah. I. I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard. It's hard for me to relate to that in some ways because, like, my life is 
never been that. So in some ways, I'm almost jealous of that. So your worst case scenario is like the scenario that other people are like, some the people doing risky things are sometimes envious of. Although, I mean? although Nassim Taleb will say, you know, the, the two most addictive things are heroin and a stable salary. Yeah, but but don't sometimes people that are uh, that are in pain go like, man, it would be nice to check out the way that like a, a heroin addict doesn't have to feel with their, you know what I mean? So, right. so, but I would go like, okay, what you have is security and a base that, um, you know, a kid graduating from college with $200,000 in debt tomorrow doesn't have. So how can you use that to your advantage, right? Like, how can you say, okay, here's the money that I'm going to put up. Here's the amount of time that I'm doing. Here's the, the two-month leave of absence that I'm taking from my job. And here's what I'm going to try to do. You know what I mean? Here's the thing. Here, I what my, my rubric is like, what's the thing that you go like, well, obviously we can't do X, right? Or like, obviously this is just a joke, but what if we, like, that's the thing that you should do. So you know like, I mean? so like, what, what's an example? What's an example where you've done that? Uh, I mean, I tried to name a Planned Parenthood clinic after one of my clients. I created a boycott of some of my clients were created a fake book that was a bestseller. You know, almost all the crazy marketing things that I've done were things that like, obviously you couldn't or shouldn't do. Do you know what I mean? Um, I feel or, like, I feel like though, like you're smart when it comes to those, obviously we can't, and then you figure out a way to can. How do people get into the, uh, but, I but mean, even, is it something where they can practice where every day they write, obviously I can't do X and just make a list of, no, of those 10 things every day? That could work. I mean, look, even ego is the enemy is crazy. It's like, I'm going to write a, a self-help book that says like, you suck. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to say, I'm going to write a self-help book that instead of encouraging you says like, here's all your flaws and don't get too full of yourself. Like I'm, what I'm always trying to do is the opposite of like what other people are doing. So that's another reason, you know, when we're talking about like, oh, I'm going to buy this book, or, you know, I'm going to buy this package that makes a book for me, or, oh, everyone's doing a podcast, so I'm doing a podcast. You shouldn't do it because if everyone else can do it, it means that's where the, all the competition is. So like, right. what's the new, what's the new thing that no one is doing? That's where you get, that's where you have the potential to like skip way ahead of in line of other people. Do you so, know what I mean? So what do you, what do you think it is right, right now, now the, today? Um, that's a good question. Now, I, now you're you're obviously you love writing and you have a, yeah. a pathway to, to writing book after book after book. So you don't have to do the new new thing. But if someone says, Well, I'm not gonna spend ten thousand hours trying to be as good sure. a writer as Ryan, what what should I start considering? What what would you what would you think about? It? And again, it boils down to who you are, but uh someone starting from scratch doesn't know who they are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I, I think there's I think there's still big gains in podcasts. I don't think it's by any means uh, by any means exploited, but I would go like, okay, let's say I'm going to do a podcast. I'd go, well, 98% of podcasts are like interview focused. Right. So I'm not going to do that. I'm right. I think, I think the interview podcast is, is dead for starters. Yes. So I'm going to make some sort of original content, right? Like, and you can oftentimes you can go back in history, go like, what were all the huge successes in radio. Were they interviews or were they shows? They were basically like dramas or comedies. Uh, so I'm gonna make something like that, right? I'm gonna make uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna beat NPR at their own game, or I'm gonna beat, you know, these other program because cause I have I'm gonna do something that doesn't exist in the market. I think that's always what you're looking to do. And look, it's hard to go like, here's the 30 things that no one is doing that you should do, because like that's where all the work is. Like people right. go like 
what are the what's a crazy stunt I could do for my business? Well, it's like the idea. That's the work. I have to. If it was easy, everyone would do it, and therefore it wouldn't be worth doing. So you have to make these things up. But I would I would go like, what what is the market missing? That's what I'm going to make. And I I think I think this is true as it's an individual level. I think this is true. Uh, as a at a writing level, I think it's true with any kind of thing you're making. It's like, you know, the Peter Thiel line where like competition is for losers. Like, invent your own category. Well, well, and and speaking of which, it sort of seems like what you do with your writing is you constantly go to the next generation. So your first book was a business book, then your next two were almost more Robert Greene style, but on stoicism. You basically again reinvented this this 2000 year old philosophy for the modern day and age. Then after that you do kind of, I would call them, you know, with the daily stoic and the daily stoic journal. It's like it, a devotional, like a practice thing yeah, that you do. It's mm -hmm. not quite a right. It, they weren't quite writing oriented books. Yeah. They were sort of like spun out of the ideas from yep. the prior two books. The, uh, then perennial seller. That's a completely different thing about a subject you're obviously passionate about. Like sure. how do you make, a book or do any kind of work of art that withstands the, the test of time, almost like a literary version of Nassim Taleb's Anti-Fragile. Yeah. Uh, and now your next book, you're challenging yourself again. Uh, it's called Conspiracy, right? Yep. It's coming out in March. Um, we can't talk about it. It's Something's embargoed about it. I don't know what. And uh, uh, it's about the whole Gawker, Peter Thiel, Hulk Hogan thing yeah that happened yeah it's like it's narrative nonfiction. so it's a total which you've never done before i've never done are it you before. a character in the book i am because you haven't done that I, well you did with trust me i'm lying you're slightly a character in the, the book the word i appears because like this the story somewhat tangentially touches me but i'm not like a main character right it's not like gonzo journalism and it's right. not like uh it there's not that much of my opinion in it but um you know, it was like I. How, how did you decide to do this book? So for the first time again, doing, I, and I wouldn't have picked that journalistic topic for you either. Like, how did you decide on that? Well, like I like I thought if you were gonna do journalism, a uh, na narrative nonfiction book, I would have thought maybe. I don't know because you've ghostwritten books. Also, I would have thought you would maybe would have taken on on one of those topics. Well, I um. I ended up, uh, I, I had some conversations with Peter Thiel and I had some conversations with Nick Denton and they're both like the characters in this incredible thing. And I realized sort of like, I'm the only person on the planet that's talking to these two people. Well, maybe I should, that's where the, that's a book. How right? did, you just, did you just call Peter Thiel and say, hey, I want to ask you about this? He sent me an email. He liked an article that I wrote. So mm -hmm. it, you know, also putting yourself out there doing things opens up opportunities do you right. know what i mean like Definitely. the reason you're sitting in your cubicle and you're not knowing what to do and the magical transformative thing isn't occurring to you is because you're not you're you're thinking about it as this sort of zero one kind of thing when really it's more of a process so it's like don't just magically become a stand-up comedian start going and hanging out at comedy clubs do you know right. what i mean like take the smallest step and also there's, it's, it's like horizontal and vertical. There's like, okay, there's take the smallest step forwards, but there's also, uh, kind of this, I don't know the right metaphor here, but there's also kind of dividing every skill into all of its sub skills. Yes. So let's take business. Business is not about creating a product and selling it. It's also about negotiating, managing, managing your own psychology through the inevitable ups and downs, 
understanding a, a enough legal uh, stuff to 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 be your own lawyer in ninety five percent of the cases. It's understanding the different types of salesmanship. It's not just marketing. It's also one on one sales. It's also selling your company. It's also selling to shareholders. Um, it's also motivating employees, which is a kind of sales. So there's all these sub skills to entrepreneurship and. Most people don't know that they just sort of call themselves an entrepreneur yeah. or or here's how we create the minimum viable product. Yeah. Now I'm an entrepreneur. And that's not it at all. There's this and and stand-up comedy is the same way. There's of course there's humor. There's also you know, understanding the crowd. There's also understanding the stage. There's also understanding how your voice works with with the crowd and different types of crowds. So there's all these uh it's like a uh, twenty or, and with writing, it's like thirty or micro skills you have to learn. There's dialogue. Yeah. There's the arc of the hero. There's you research. know paragraph yeah. st structure. There's research. Uh, you've written a ton of articles just on how you research things. Can I tell an Iron Maiden story? Yes. I'm wearing an Iron Maiden shirt. So I was just reading Bruce Dickinson's uh, autobiography, who you should a thousand percent have on the podcast. Why don't we have <laughs> Steve? How come we don't have him on the podcast yet? What happened? Um. He well, he only wanted to do it on the phone. We do things in person you gotta, here. You got to nine percent of communication is is verbal. The rest is is face to face. You should fly to London. That's how good this episode would be. Yeah. But so it, he in the in the book he's talking about he he was recording some album at some studio probably like this one and Robert Plant was also recording an album at the same studio and he he came over to Bruce's house one night and he was like look like this album I just like I can't do it it's like this mountain. And I like can't figure it out. And it's just sort of staring. And Bruce just goes like, well, take the stairs. And he's like, what? And he's like, the stairs in the side of the mountain. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, the stairs in the side of the mountain. That's what they're there for. And so to me, what what I who knows? That could be gibberish. Or what I take from that story is like, you see this mountain. And you're like, how am I supposed to get from here to there? Like, I just want to be on the top of the mountain. And you don't realize that it's, you just get there one step at a time. There's like stairs on the side of the mountain. And I think, books it's like okay i want to be an author how do i become an author and and people think it's like okay what i need is a book deal and it's like no first you need to just start reading more and then you need to start researching and accumulating materials and thinking about all these things and deconstructing the process and then one day a really good idea will hit you and then you need to start testing that idea with people and writing articles about that idea and then you need to uh maybe you start writing that book and then you're also starting to meet other authors. And then that's how you meet an agent or you meet someone who has a self-publishing company. Or, you know, it's, it's, so it's not that you magically go from, like when I look at my own life, it was like I was going to college in 2005 and I was studying political science. How did I end up here in 2017 having written like seven books uh, that sold way more copies than I ever thought? And I've worked with all these clients. It wasn't, I didn't go like, I want to get here. It was that I just started doing stuff and then that created one an, another opportunity and another, it, it's a, the opportunities generate and replicate themselves, but you have to like take that first step. Do you know I, what I mean? I think there's also an aspect here which you've been describing, which is sort of collisions. Yeah. So like, you know, the guy from Iron Maiden talking to, that's how much I know about Iron Maiden. I have to yeah. say the guy from Iron Maiden. Yeah. Uh, talking to Robert Plant from, from Led Zeppelin. They it wasn't like they were at home and yes. they called each other. Right. They like ran into each other. They collided. You, sure. you know, forced yourself into the collision with 
Dove Charney at American Apparel, and then Robert, you know, before yeah. that, Robert Green, uh, you know, who was kind of a, a big mentor to you. You have to sort of do things that will help. And just like you, you collided with Peter Thiel, you have to kind of set yourself up in a situation where you're going to start maybe colliding with people. Yeah, I mean, the weirdest thing started happening to me when my book started going through professional sports. I started getting emails from like players, but mostly from coaches, like really well-known football coaches and baseball coaches and uh, foot and like soccer coaches, and they would just email me, and I thought this was like the weirdest thing ever. And then I realized like they're they're doing what I've always done, which is like when I see something I like, I try to interact with like a piece of that world do you know what i mean like yeah like when i read an article in the new york times i'm like oh that was really smart i just like send the journalist an email and i would say one out of 50 times do i get a response do you no know what I, I mean i would say every aspect of my career only started that way yeah so so me sending an email to somebody with something not just saying um you know the worst email of course is that can i meet you for coffee for just yeah. five minutes right but uh putting something positive in the email, like giving them an idea or pointing them to something else or, you know, that's related to their article or even just a nice congratulatory letter, but but, but meaningful in some way that, that they get extra value out of it. I find, and again, it's it's one out of 50. It can't be, it can't be one out of three or yeah. else you'll lose. Yeah. And it's one out of 50 and you do it every day and that that's creates collisions. That's how I met you. Do you remember this? I was uh, at American Apparel. I don't remember. I hadn't even thought about writing books, but I was unhappy and I saw how like dysfunctional the company was. And you wrote an article about quitting your job, about why you should quit your job. And I just sent you an email and I was like, and we just talked. And then I don't think we met formally through other people for like maybe like two more years. Right. But it was like a seed. Do you know what I mean? And, and, that was how I discovered your work. And then you responded. And like that conversation itself, I, I think you gave me some good advice, but it was mostly, it was like, I emailed this person and got back to me. Well, and like, that's encouraging. And that's how, that's the snowball. You know, and what's interesting there is a lot of people talk to me about, oh, I read that article that you wrote about quitting your job. And then I did this, 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 thank you. And, you, and I wrote to you and I responded to you. So, so out of like, let's say that between two and 3,000 articles I've written, yeah. there's maybe 10 yeah. that people, when they do see me and say, oh, I love your writing. And if I were to say what writing, they would either say the book Choose Yourself or they would say that article that you said, or maybe there's like nine other articles out of two or 3,000. Yeah. So, and all, I don't, it's not like I think all those articles are equally good. Like some are bad, some are good, but some of them are even better, sure. but they're still not the ones people... Well, remember it, it's because of how people find them like i wrote an article in 2012 when i was coming out with trust me i'm lying which is a marketing book i wrote a book about like dropping out of college which has nothing to do with the book but i've probably gotten more emails from like almost every day at, like two in the morning i get an email from some right. kid who's like i'm thinking about dropping out of college but my parents are going to disown me what should i do and i go look here's like five more articles like good luck you know blah. and i i talk to them but it's like what percentage of those people become my fans because I helped them in some time? It's particularly vulnerable moment. Do you know what I mean? That's so good. I'm actually gonna. I'm actually gonna totally steal that topic. By the way, of driving out of college <laughs> because I've written you shouldn't go to college, but right. I never take the point. Of, now I have actually a child in college. Yeah, I should now take the point of view. How do you drop out of college? You're gonna ruin my Google juice. You're probably <laughs> gonna beat me. But the the point is like very few people talk about like 
actually reach people at that pain point. So the obstacle is a way like people get recommended that book because like somebody in their life died or they just got fired or their company went bankrupt or, you know, they're just going through a difficult time, whatever. And so people are like, here, this book will help. So it's like identifying those pain points and making something that actually delivers value in that pain point. Like with ego, I get people like, I was, you know, my own worst enemy and someone gave me your book. And like over the last year, like I've totally stabilized things and, and all these problems went away. That is a, to me a much more profound reaction than like, I saw your book at the airport and I read it on a flight and it was funny. You know what I mean? Like I want to, I want to have like a deeper impact with fewer people. Yeah, no, I, I wish it's funny with some areas of my life. I'm fine with that. And with other areas, I'm so ingrained in the metrics of how you value success that it's hard for me to to get out of that mindset. And, you know, it's always easy to say you should never care what someone thinks about you, but you have to care a little, right? Or else you'll write garbage. And so there's a gray area then sure. about how much you care and and how you judge how people are thinking of you. That's It's hard to kind of get out of that. But this leads into... Um, and we'll, I wanted to get into this. You wrote an article recently, uncommon advice to any young man wanting to become insanely successful, and then in parentheses, or get something from someone who is successful. So uh, you talk about dropping out of your school uh, and your, your first job in Hollywood, but if it's okay, I wanted to kind of go over this advice a little bit because okay. I, I thought almost all of it was good advice and I had some some questions. And then, but so here's what's crazy. I wrote that article probably like four years ago, and then I just republish it with a new headline, and it's like doing really well because it's still it captures some that it's like okay, I'm 20 and I'm the most ambitious person in the world, but what do I do? Do you know what I mean? Like, right. Well, I you know, and I think it's important. Also, people don't realize two things. One is nobody read your old shit, right? <laughs> right? Because yeah. you have many more readers now and yeah. many more people who are aware of you. Sure. So there's nothing wrong with rewriting or republish. If you think it's good enough, to, it doesn't need rewriting, just republish it. There's nothing wrong with that. The other thing people don't realize is, is that in today's world, no one gives a shit if you published it in, twice yeah. <laughs> in the same, you know, at the same time. So you could have taken this and published it also in Thought Catalog and The Observer and Medium and LinkedIn, and nobody would even know that you published it in more than one place because everyone's decided, okay, I'm going to get all my articles from Medium or or yeah. HuffPo or Thought Catalog or LinkedIn. They're not. No one's going to read your article twice and say, oh, I, this is a shame. He wrote this in The Observer. He should not do this. No one ever says that. So that's the. It, so again, it's horizontally and vertically. Well, in in time and in place. James could, James Clear said that to me. He was like, uh, how many good ideas am I going to have? Like, I'm just want to get, I just want to take my good ideas and turn them into great ideas. So he's like always rewriting. He's like, you know, the article look, came look out, at, it was a thousand words. Now it's 2,000 words and the examples are better. Look, look at me. Like some people that. say you always write about, oh, you failed, you went broke, <laughs> and you got out of it. I've written about a lot of other things actually, but that's the, you know, that look, is the article. That is the idea I'm trying to perfect in some sense. It actually took me a while to get that about your writing. I was like, did James go bankrupt like 700 times or is it actually like three times and he's just writing about it from every possible angle? Yeah, it's like three times and yeah. I'm writing about it from every possible angle. Right. And look at it, look at how, have you ever seen, been on the set of a TV show being shot? Yeah. So a TV show, a, a typical shot, 
might be a shot that you finally see in its final version on TV might be shot from 20 different angles and yeah. 20 different times in 20 different ways with different sure. emotions. And it's that's how they perfect that final shot. Well, and I, to me, my, my articles are me always moving stuff around to ultimately go in a book in their sort of permanent best form. So right. like, there's a chapter in Ego is the Enemy called Fight Club Moments. I wrote that article when I was a freshman in college at like two in the morning on like, a blog that nobody read, but it kept I kept hearing from people about it and I kept refining it and then it became a chapter in a book that's like one of the most popular chapters in the book. Well, uh, let's, how old I'm, were you when you wrote that? Uh, I would have been, I would have been like 18. So, okay, let's find other yeah. uncommon advice yeah. to any let's, young man. <laughs> yeah, let's see. I'll I be very interested to hear what I said. So, okay, so the first thing you say Actually, you say you 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 say this in italics. The rest you say in bold. But you, and I really like this first one. Always say less than necessary. Yes. Well, that's in italics because it's a quote from the Forty Eight Laws of Power, which is like, as a young person, you have all these ideas, you have all these opinions, and most of them are embarrassingly wrong. So the less you say, the less likely you are. Like if 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 I was following you around and I was nineteen, and I was like, James, here's what I think about this. James, here's what I think about this. Eventually, I'm going to say something so dumb. You're like, I got to get rid of Ryan. Like, he's an idiot. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if I just sit there and listen, and I just like, I choose my shots, and I just do a good job. You're going to be like, Ryan's like the smartest kid I've ever met. You know, like he's really going places. So the less you say, the less like you are to say something embarrassing. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I think, I think when I was really young, I tended to say too much and occasionally get lucky. Yeah. <laughs> but other times, I've actually had people say to me, most of your ideas are really bad. <laughs> and they were like saying it in a, not in an advisory way, but like in an angry way. Yeah. <laughs> like stop it and yeah. focus. Yeah. Um, uh, the, and this is related. The point isn't just to prove that you're capable, but also that you're sane. But the important thing there is, is you say sanity is more important than capability. Yeah. I mean, I get all these crazy emails from people and I'm like, I don't care how talented this person is. I can't have this like, wrecking ball coming through my life you know what i mean i don't want your your stream of conscious email at three in the morning um i don't want to hear about the crazy drama in your person like uh, my rule when i was working for successful people is always like keep the crazy at home like present the image of being the most normal least anxious you know least scared least in way over his head has no idea what he's doing kid in the world and just act like you belong there um like you can like you're a rock that can be trusted because that's that's what like how how many talented kids could you hire right now a lot how many of them would you find out uh you know did something stupid and now you have to fire them do you know what i mean so that to me it's like i just don't want to fuck it up well you know it's it this advice applies even now like Take your day today. You have a, a, a jam-packed day. I have I have a similar kind of day. It's not like I can say to someone at the end of the day, "Oh, I had too busy a day. Sorry, I'm like an hour late." Yeah. Uh, they're not going to care. Right. You right. Can't, there's no excuses really if you're a competent, sane person. Like yeah. you should leave the excuses, like you say, at home. Yeah, I forget. I forget who said it, but uh, she, she's like a big fashion publicist, and she's her. The title of her book was like 
if you're going to cry, go outside. And it's like, that. that's how it is. <laughs> that's a good title, actually. Yeah. Uh, this one's important. It's another one that I kind of fail at repeatedly. All this advice is for me, and I'm not a young man. Uh, stay on the radar. Yeah. So it's like, we were talking about, so you send a, an email to a coach or to someone and you get a response. Well, don't, like, uh, kids do this to me all the time. So they'll send me an email and then they'll I'll, I'll respond and then they'll be like, now that I have you, here's 48 more questions, right? And now I'm like, I don't want to deal with this kid. Right. But like the person who sends the email and then you're like, oh, you know, like I, I sent an email to you and you responded. And then maybe six months later, I'm going to send you another email and we're going to respond. And then, oh, we're actually both going to be in New York at the same time. And like, can I get you to sign a copy of my book? And oh, here's another art. So it's 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 a relationship that builds. You know, it like starts with the first interaction and it builds. You want to stay on the radar. You want to keep doing things. You want to be like, I'm sure there are up and coming writers and podcasters and other people that you're just sort of monitoring. You're just sort of looking at right. and seeing what they're, and as long as they're continuing to show momentum, you're going to help them. And, you know, uh, I'll tell you when they disappear, you're not. You know, this doesn't work so well for me now because I almost just have two my radar is like analyzing too many things. So it's sure. hard for me to stay on the radar where I want to be and, and to keep track of everything. But when I was selling my first business, there was uh, the head of acquisitions at Omnicom, which was the largest ad agency in the world. Maybe it still is. Uh, and just every couple of months, I would send like a quarterly update. Yeah. On, I had breakfast with her once. We were too small to be acquired. But over the course of a year, sending you know maybe five or six emails, finally she started saying, okay, meet this company, this company, this yeah. company, and I started getting offers for the company. Sure. Just staying on her radar yep. and a radar of a few other people. That's totally right. Um, don't be too good at being an assistant. I'm not totally sure so about this, this one. This is the advice that I got, because in Hollywood you start basically answering someone's phones, right? right. You're a secretary. And uh, actually uh, the guy, his name is Nate Bellotten, now he's a huge movie producer. He, he sort of, he's like, Ryan, because um, he had started a couple years before me. He's like, Ryan, he's like, this person, this person, this person, this person, they all want to be agents and producers. He's like, but they're they're all lifers. And I was like, what? He's like, they're never going to get promoted above this desk. Um, and I was like, why? He's like, they're they're too hard to replace as a, they're good assistants. Mm. And he's like, he's like, you want to be just good enough that you don't get fired, but just bad enough and show just enough potential in other things that they want to move you off the desk into something that really matters. I think the key there is the potential in other things. Of so course. You could still be a good assistant, but you know, if a person wants to be an agent, they should sign a client and deliver it to the agency, yes. and then they're going to get promoted to agent, whether or not they were a good assistant. Well, kind of, but if if you're like, if you've seen, uh, like uh, Larry David talks about this on Curb Enthusiasm all the time, it's like, your assistant knows everything about your life, so you don't want to replace. You don't like right. an assistant is a weird thing. Once you get locked in, it's very hard to get out. But she never on Curb Your Enthusiasm. That character never moves beyond wanting to be an assistant, and sure. she brings her personal problems to the, yeah, to the office. Does, but does. if she brought Larry a script that she wrote hypothetically and he loved it for some reason, right? Maybe that would move her up, right? So I think it's the doing something overrides this one a little bit. It's if you both. can do something, yeah. If you can be aspirational and 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 fulfill that, it, it might it might get you out of that. Um, rem, uh, this is interesting advice. Remember, most people on the internet are losers and outsiders. <laughs> yeah, well, I I always found like you know I'd read these like blogs and be like, oh, like you know, it, like some quick blog post about how like 
you know, Yahoo's going to go out of business or, you know, all the, all the, and then it's like, actually, you know, these things are complicated. Like, it's easy to pontificate about shit on the internet. Yeah. But the actual sort of like halls of power or influence or business are much more complicated. And that there were, you know, sure, it could be a dead man walking, but it could go out of business tomorrow or it could go out of business 28 years from now. You know what I mean? And so just remember that a lot of the people who are just pontificating about things on the internet actually not only don't know what they're talking about, but like... um are totally wrong about what they're talking about. Right, and so two things there. One is, it's the pontificating versus doing. Yeah. Like if you do, if you worked at Yahoo for, for five years and then say, here's what Yahoo should do to avoid going out of business, that might be taken sure. seriously. Um, the other thing is, is the vocal minority exists on the internet yes. and the, the majority that likes you they're not writing all these articles about you or whatever. You don't see them. So sometimes, so this is the real reason I try to avoid the internet is that everybody who makes comments about my looks yeah. sort of lives there. Yeah. And people who just say, hey, I really like your stuff. They don't really live in any one place. Well, it's, or like just the, the political situation right now, it's like my, my theory is probably that the Trump administration is both way better and way worse than it sounds like from the outside. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because there is no reliable news source anymore. Yes. And, you know, it's interesting. I've never been political. The, only, the closest to political I've been is writing an article saying they should just abolish the presidency. But I find everybody on one side assumes I'm on the other. Yeah. And everybody on the other side assumes I'm on the other. Yeah. So just people will hate you unless you uh, join their camp on the internet yeah. that they've carved out for themselves. So it's like read less media reports and talk to people who are actually in a position to know. Okay, so if you're this is this is really interesting advice. I'm also not sure if I agree with it, but it's really interesting. If you're working all the time, that is if you don't get to leave the office until midnight and you got there at 5 a.m., you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Um I always found that as long as I was just doing really good work, I could make my own hours and do my own thing. I think most people I think most meetings are optional. I think most phone calls are optional. I think most standard practices are just the way things have always been done. Uh, I agree with all of that. And that if you just do, if if you can deliver the goods, not only can you make your own schedule and do things your own way, but you should because it makes you stand out. Right. So so I think deliver the goods in your three hours where, you know, a typical workday from nine to five, people only work about like two hours. Yeah. But if you do happen to work extra hours and you're doing your thing that's aspirational, then you're you're doing something right. Yeah, no, I think you should work a lot. Just if you're stuck at the office and you're not in control of how much or little you're working, you're probably just following sort of rote patterns right. that you are are not productive. Here's this one's really interesting because you have one, you uh you have one you made it clear in another answer but steer clear of the charlatans, lifers and the toxic. So the charlatans and the toxic are the same thing yeah. and I totally agree with that. Anybody who's toxic and you'll know pretty quickly like a boss who yells at you is toxic or yeah. or if employees want to gossip with you about other employees, they're toxic because they're certainly gossiping about you. And this applies to relationships, work, personal, everything. Um, but you threw in the lifers here, which you alluded to in the other answer as well. Well, so if you're if this thing is a stepping stone for where you want to go, like if you're working on Wall Street to make money because then you're going to do this, make sure you're not picking up the habits or the unconscious biases of the people who are not going anywhere. Do you know right. what I mean? Make sure that 
if this is just a stop for you, um, or if you've got this sort of larger plan that you're not, you know, if you're trying to do something in five years that normally takes 25 years, make sure that you're not believing all the assumptions of the people who are trying to do it in 20 years. Do you know so, what I mean? So, so I agree. And it brings me back to the few years I spent in a nine to five job. The lifers were always the ones ones who would say, you can't do this. Like if I yeah. wanted to go and have, pitch an idea directly to the CEO, the VP of X, Y, and Z would say, oh, you can't yep. do that. You can't just go into his office. Yeah, they'd be like, oh no, this system is broken. So we can't do like, that doesn't work. Or we have to do it this way instead. Or here's here are eight compromises we're going to have to do to get your project to work. But, but th this brings to mind, and I think this is super important. It's what I've been realizing lately on a couple different things. If you do if you do see your life in a different spot in five years than where the lifers are, the critical thing, and I think most people, I think this is the easiest hack on the 10,000 hour rule, is not just doing something over and over again, like the, the deliberate practice described by, by so many people like Anders Ericsson and Robert Greene and so on, but actually spending a lot of time and talking to the non-lifers. Yeah. So I think that hacks seven to eight years out of, I think it usually takes seven to eight years of, of starting something before you have a community of people who can really help you in that area. And you can skip those seven to eight years if you just put yourself in the center of that community as fast as possible. Well, Tim Ferriss's strategy, he said, is always to go find the people who shouldn't be able to do what they're doing and like figure out how they do it. Mm -hmm. So don't look at, don't, it's like, if you want to be a politician, don't get advice from Hillary Clinton because that's like the oldest way of doing it. It's like, you got to be in politics your whole life. You should actually be like, what did Donald Trump do? How do you go from not, how do you not, how do you go from not having spent a day in public service in your life and being a toxic buffoon to somehow being president? You know, how do you pull that off? That's where there's lessons. Fortunately, I did a podcast about that very topic with Scott Adams. And uh, so your next piece of advice, on the same note, you can probably skip most of the quote unquote social activities the job requires. I absolutely believe in that. Like yeah. nobody remembers if you went to the holiday party. Right. <laughs> So no, I remember when I worked at the at the agency, there was some like, some holiday party, and I was like, I didn't go, and then they were like, Oh wait, here's your present afterwards. I was like, Oh sweet! Like everyone, everyone gave up a night of their life to go get drunk at this stupid party with people from work, when they could have just got their like you know their Amazon gift card like uh, the next like the next Monday. Like so for me, I was always like work like here's what I do for money right now. And then here's the thing I'm practicing in my own life. Like here's the writing I'm getting good at, the relationships I'm built. I want to make sure that I'm not spending one second more than I need to on this other stuff. But you've got to replace it with something. You've got, yeah, of you course. Could, if, if I'm not you, playing if video you were games. The per, yeah, if you were the person sitting around doing nothing and then you skip the holiday party, that could be bad. So yeah, you, right. have, to, you yeah. have to show up somewhere. Yes, of course. Um, ask yourself, so this is the next piece of advice. Ask yourself, am I saying this because I want to prove how smart I am? Or am I saying it because it needs to be said? I think that's that's obvious. Yeah. Uh, uh, the 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 next one I think is actually the most important rule, and um, and then I'm going to skip a couple rules just because. I, what time's your talk at GE? Uh, I got to go in like 15 minutes. All right, we'll we'll get you out of here. This this rule is so important that I can't underestimate its value, particularly for young people or or older, but really for young people. Forget credit. Yes. So always give credit to everyone else. Yeah. Because A, if you're the one 
everyone knows anybody anyway. Like deep down, everyone yeah. knows who deserves the credit anyway. Right. But if you're always the source of the credit, if you're the bank of credit, people always come back to you to withdraw more credit. Yes. Make yourself indispensable by being the guy. Like I, I, I made a lot of headway in my career as being like the young kid who knew what was happening, who would give away ideas freely that other people could take credit for. So then I started getting invited to, it's like, uh, let's get Ryan in on this. You know, like, what does Ryan think? Because uh, I wasn't an asshole and because they were able to make use of what I was doing. I call this the canvas strategy. There's a chapter in it in Ego's the Enemy, but this is how Bill Belichick, who's the coach of the Patriots, his, you know, he got a job analyzing film for free for the Baltimore Colts. Uh, and then he eventually became, you know, one of the greatest head coaches of all time. Uh, analyzing film means he would go through this, the game film frame by frame, and find, oh, here's what this player does on these plays, and then he would give it to the respective coach who was paid, uh, and the different, you know, the linebacker, the linebacker coach, the quarterback coach, the receivers coach, and then they would tell their players, do this. So he was giving them the insights that they were giving to the players and to the head coach, and no one knew that it was coming from Bill, except those coaches who were like, we need, we need to keep Bill around. Right, and then what happens is, people grow up. So yeah. in the sense that not only Bill, but the coaches he was working for, they end up being the head coaches of other teams. Yes, exactly. This this happened to me in writing. I would write and then my editors end up being editors at the Wall Street Journal or the or right. the Financial Times or for a book company. And then you start getting more totally. and more opportunities. Um, uh, this have an exit strategy is very important. And I think it's important every... Uh, I think it's important every step of the way, but but particularly when you're young, but but even later on, you should always not not that you're always going to exit every situation. Sometimes you'll keep relationships for 20, 30 years, but there should always be a next level, a plan yeah. B, a like back what, door. What are you doing this for? What are you trying to get out of it? Because you know, let's say, let's say uh, you're analyzing film and you're doing better and better at it. You're and, and they're like, okay, we want to make you a film editor, uh, and we're going to pay you X for that. Well, if your dream is to be a coach, maybe that's actually not on the trajectory that you wanted to go. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, at the the talent agency, like I wanted to be a writer ultimately. I wanted to have my own business potentially. So it's like I, in some ways, like the more successful I would become at that company, the more it would be harder for me to leave and go do what I actually wanted to do. So you have to know where you're trying to end up. Otherwise, it's going to be very hard to evaluate opportunities properly. P particularly like the the managers or bosses you're working for are often at that point in their careers maybe more charismatic or motivational than you. They, they've built that skill to manage employees. Yeah. They're going to flatter you and you're going to want to stay. And they're yeah. going to offer bigger salaries, which is meaningless, and um, all these things that are really carrots to stay. Yeah, it's like, like they've got this, this hose hooked up to you and they're sucking the life out of you to keep the company going. And you're going to be like, you have to know when you want to un, right. unhook that hose to go do your own thing. So the image that you just did was like the matrix. Like you have yeah. to like unhook yourself from, from the matrix. Um, uh, I think those, uh, the obvious important one is, uh, oh, this is part of why every one of your articles like to read. And then you've created, you have the links into your email list, which yep. I appreciate. It's a great email list, by the way. I get it every, every single, your, yours and maybe one other email i like eric barker's emails oh his is the best yeah yours and his emails i do read he's his doesn't come out every day i don't think every so, sunday 
Yeah, okay, once yeah. a week. And yours is like every day. And uh, those are like the... Oh, the Daily Stoic one. Yeah, the Daily yeah. Stoic. The Daily Stoic one's every day, and then the, the reading one is once a month. Yeah, I read I read those all the time. Uh, so, look, that's that's what I've got going for you. Uh, next time, Mar- March 16th, your book's going to come out about c- conspiracy and Peter Thiel and Gawker and that whole thing. So, so definitely come back on then. So but- I get your email, so I have a question. When should I sell my Bitcoin? Uh, never. Never. Because... There is a shift happening, just like just like gold was eventually replaced by paper money. Yeah. Because paper money solved problems that gold couldn't solve. Like, let's say you got wealthy and then you wanted to move from Texas to London. How would you move your wealth if it was if everything was in gold? Yeah. Well, you would just use paper money in a bank. Yeah. So paper money and what combined with banking replaced gold. Okay. Bitcoin is solving enough of problems created by paper money that this is the next generation of money. So it's been a gradual realization that we have all these problems. It took the collapse of all of South America, Asia, Russia, you know, and many other countries to prove that paper money has some serious problems. Okay. There's hundreds of millions of dollars worth of forged paper currency out there. Um, another problem. There's no anonymity when you make large bank transactions. Another problem. So digital currency solves these problems enough and you look at what the supply and demand. There's $200 trillion worth of demand for money. That's how much currency exists. There's only $200 billion worth of cryptocurrencies. So it's, and demand and this supply are largely fixed. So the only thing that's going to change is the price. The ratio. So, okay. so you kind of, I know there's going to be volatility. Like yeah. your, your Bitcoin that you own now is going to go down 50% at some point. And same with all other cryptocurrencies when there's the flush of all the scam cryptocurrencies and so on. But in general, if you're in the good ones and you just, Amazon was around in 1996, survived the supposed bust of the internet and is now going to be a trillion dollar company. All right. That's what you got to, that's what you got to hold out for is the the long game. The long game. All right. All right. Well, Ryan, thanks a lot. Are you going to come back before the next book? Yeah, I'll come back then. Excellent. All right. Thanks for having me. Hey, 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 hold, hold on. Before you go, don't forget I'm giving out for free whatever copies I have left of the Side Hustle Bible. Again, I'm not publishing this on Amazon. I'm just giving it to you guys, uh, podcast listeners, newsletter subscribers, and the people who have already been interested in my writing because I know you'll appreciate it. I know we're all interested in freedom and choosing ourselves, and I've put together this collection of 177 proven ideas that I know work. I mean, wait till you see the testimonial from the guy who wrote the forward. It's, uh, it blew my mind when he wrote it. So if you've ever wondered what life would be like if you were able to make money while you slept or while you were spending time with your family or what it would be like to turn something you love into a new income stream or even find out what you love that you could monetize, you need this book because I wrote it for you. You can get it right now at jamesfreebooks.com. That's jamesfreebooks.com to claim your free copy of the Side Hustle Bible. Do it now. It's jamesfreebooks.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.